Blog Talk Radio. Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday evening. It is May 21st, 2021, and here we go again. Uh, my gosh, uh, we're going to play that game of catch-up, folks. I thank you for joining me. Um, I don't even know who's writing the script anymore. It might be Rod Serling, uh, but God only knows. But I do, uh, I do thank you for being here, and we're going to try to sort some of the madness out. Um, you know, a week ago, I discussed an article that I wrote for Front Page magazine. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that I've been writing for Front Page. Gosh, it, it's got to be over six or seven years now, somewhere in that range. Um, and I'm delighted to work with them, getting the information out to you that's almost impossible uh, to provide anywhere else. Uh, the American Conservative has been providing me with a platform this past week, by the way, uh, I was on Newsmax, and I've been doing Newsmax programs off and on over the years. Very happy to have joined them this week. Uh, and apparently the producers were so happy with my segment. So make a note on Monday morning, this coming Monday, three days from now, uh, two days from now, however you want to count it, at about uh, 10, 15, 10, 20, somewhere in that range, I am scheduled. And I always use the word scheduled because sometimes – in television, you get preempted by breaking news, that sort of thing. But as of right now, I'm scheduled to be on Newsmax TV uh, to discuss immigration. We're working out the exact topics. They've given me pretty uh, good latitude, so I provided them with some ideas about what I'd like to talk about. And, and what we really need to understand is how immigration impacts almost everything. For years, and I mean going back decades, Immigration was always portrayed, and is frequently portrayed to this very day, as a minor issue. Well, by now, we all should have seen through that nonsense. After 9-11, we should have seen through that nonsense. In fact, after a number of terror attacks carried out in the United States prior to 9-11, we should have seen through that lie. The attack at the, at the World Trade Center in February 93 involving aliens who came here from the Middle East, committing visa fraud, lying about the need for political asylum, lying about their identities a month earlier, a shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani individual by the name of Kansi, who also gamed the immigration system. Many of these individuals got driver's licenses in multiple identities so they could move freely around the country, rent vehicles, uh, vehicles, in fact, being used in terror attacks. The bombing of the Trade Center involved a motor vehicle, a truck filled with explosives. The shooting at the CIA was only possible because Kansi, the shooter, had been able to buy in to a livery uh, system or a courier service, and the van that he drove had a sticker that allowed him to park in the parking lot of the CIA in Virginia. And that January morning in 93, he pulled into the CIA parking lot and jumped out, not with packages, but with an AK-47, and he opened fire. Time and again, we've seen the same nonsense, 
And boy, oh boy, this whole thing about canceling culture and canceling history, uh, you know, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I find it especially remarkable and cynical and hypocritical that, that Nancy Pelosi is jumping up and down saying, we need a 9-11-style commission to look at what happened January 6th at the Capitol. By the way, if we want to talk about what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, why don't we talk about the killing of an unarmed woman, an Air Force veteran, at the hands, apparently, allegedly, at the hands of a Capitol Police officer, but we have no idea who the police officer is or was or if it was a Capitol Police officer. Every other shooting that I've seen reported on, immediately you know the name of the police officer, you may know where he lives or she lives and who their family is and how many years they were on the job and all the circumstances. All the breastfeeding and the stamping and yelling and hollering about what happened January 6th, we still have no idea who pulled the trigger that killed that woman. It's not acceptable. Now, what happened at the Capitol was not acceptable. I, I, I believe that it was a riot. The, the term being used by uh, the radical left is that it was an insurrection. I don't believe that to be the case, but we're entitled to a difference of opinions. And that's one of the issues that goes with the cancel culture. You either believe what we tell you, or you might be labeled, as, God knows, a conspiracy theorist, maybe a terrorist. God only knows. If you look at a bulletin that was issued by the Department of Homeland Security, and I'm going to be writing about this, they talked about all sorts of individuals who need to be checked for possible terrorist connections or terrorist goals. And let me be very clear. Anybody, no matter what their position, if they believe that it is appropriate to commit an act of violence in support of their political views, is 101% wrong, 101% unacceptable. Uh, terrorism has been defined, the use of violence or the threat of violence to achieve political goals. So anybody who thinks that setting fire to buildings or killing people or threatening people to accomplish political objectives if that's someone's belief, <clears throat> they are dangerous, they are wrong, and I'm 101%, you can only be 100%, but I'm trying to add that extra percent for emphasis. There's nothing redeeming about that. But it's remarkable that in all the concerns about terrorism, the Attorney General at a hearing and DHS have said that the biggest threat we face are white supremacists, um, and they do mention ISIS and al-Qaeda, but only from the perspective that perhaps they are influencing people in the United States to commit acts of terror. Not one word about the potential for them to come to the United States themselves and carry out terror attacks. Nancy Pelosi and every member of Congress should have to read not only the 9-11 Commission report, and you know I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission, but they should have to read the companion report, 9-11 and Terrorist Travel, because it detailed how on numerous occasions, not just the 19 uh, hijackers involved on 9-11, but others prior to that <clears throat> uh, found vulnerabilities in multiple areas of the immigration system to enter the United States and hide in plain sight, or in the parlance of the 9-11 Commission, embed themselves as they went about their deadly terrorist preparations. We need to go after violent individuals 
who would destroy buildings and kill people for whatever purpose. That kind of violence is 100% unacceptable no matter what the goals or what the complaints or what the perspective is, and I don't care what it is. If you support violence, you belong in jail. It's very simple. But hypocrisy is not where you get justice. A woman was killed, and we still don't know, four months later, almost five months later, we have no idea who pulled the trigger. How in the world is that acceptable? A family certainly has every right to know, and every American has the right to know. It's funny because what we're seeing around the country in some cities like New York and elsewhere, they want to take the protections against private lawsuits against law enforcement officers, make them accountable for their actions. Uh, we could have that conversation also, because uh, under the current law, if you act outside the scope of your authority in law enforcement, you can be sued, you can be prosecuted. So people are made accountable. So here we have a case of an unarmed woman being shot to death, and where is the outcry from the same politicians who talk about the need to make law enforcement accountable. I do believe law enforcement needs to be accountable. I carried a badge and a firearm for decades, and I was accountable. You know, when I was a new agent, I was talking to a police officer one night, and he said to me, you know, the NYPD has an interesting term that we use to describe the badge that police officers, federal agents, law enforcement carry. It's called a 10, a 10, not a shield. Because the shield implies that the badge protects you. It's called a 10 as a reminder that the badge makes you more vulnerable and accountable. And I agree with that. When I went for firearms training, and we had to qualify every 90 days, NYPD qualifies once a year. I don't believe it's nearly enough. We had to qualify a minimum of every 90 days. And, and the people in the SWAT units or special response teams or whatever the particular agency designates as those people uh, that come in with the heavy weapons and learn how to do fast roping and so forth, all those tactical measures, uh, they qualify, I believe, it's every 30 days now. Firearms are serious business. You can't take a bullet back. You can't call a reset. And the training that I have is that every trigger pull is separate and distinct from every other trigger pull, even if you're in the middle of a firefight. Thankfully, I was never in the middle of a firefight, but came awfully close on a number of occasions. And I will tell you that each and every time, I was so relieved to holster my weapon without having fired it. No rational person wants to shoot another human being. I had a dog attack me while we were executing warrants. Pretty big dog. He must have weighed about 80 pounds, and he bit me. I couldn't bring myself to shoot the dog, so I smacked him upside the head with what I was then carrying, which was a big 4-inch 357 Magnum. Of course, if the dog had persisted, I wasn't going to become his meal, or maybe her meal. I didn't get a chance to check out if it was a male or female. But thankfully, I smacked the dog upside the head, and the dog ran off. And uh, we finished making the arrest that we were there to make, and I wound up in the emergency room that night. 
But pulling the trigger is serious business. I love target shooting. It's enjoyable. It's a sport. There is no sport in shooting at another human being or even a dog. The last thing you want to do is take a life. And I will tell you, I joined law enforcement to prevent lives being lost. The Strategic Air Command, those of you who know anything about the military, and my dad's brother served in the uh, Army Air Corps, the predecessor to the Air Force, and during the Korean War, they mustered him back in, and he attained the rank of captain. He flew a desk. He wasn't a pilot. But um, the Strategic Air Command was part of the Air Force. I've had the privilege of addressing Air Force generals because I do work with the Speakers Bureau in D.C., so um, at least a few times a year I find myself honored uh, to be able to do a presentation in front of a room filled with Air Force brass, including generals and test pilots and fighter pilots. Last year, uh, one of the folks in my audience was actually an astronaut who had returned from the space station. It was quite an honor to meet him. We got to chat for about a half hour after my presentation, took a couple of pictures together with him. But the Strategic Air Command, for those of you familiar with it, um, consisted of a bunch of mostly bombers that would get as close to Soviet airspace as possible to counter their bombers that approached our airspace. And the whole point was that if Russia penetrated our airspace the Strategic Air Command was to go in, um, and if, God forbid, the occasion came to drop bombs on Russia, including potentially nuclear weapons. But the whole point to it was to not drop the weapons, to deter violence by demonstrating your willingness and your ability to perpetrate great violence on the enemy. In fact, the motto of the Strategic Air Command is, peace is our profession. And I'm raising this issue because as I sit here thinking, and I don't work with a script, um, I just come on and I spend an hour having a, a one-sided conversation with you, kind of like some marriages, I guess, sometimes, <laughs> a one-sided conversation. Um, just joking, but I couldn't resist. But I've heard many politicians, Biden being one of them, we've got to stop militarizing the police going out there in those armored Humvees and all this other nonsense. You shouldn't be patrolling neighborhoods in armored Humvees. Don't generally patrol neighborhoods in armored Humvees unless there's been some incredible disturbance and you've had the police backing down and then you wind up with more violence and more destruction and tragically, in some cases, more death, more serious injuries. The reason for the heavy weapons and the reason for the armored vehicles is not to go on patrol, but to respond to a specific threat. The way that you bring in fire engines when there's a fire, you bring in the heavy weapons and the heavy vehicles. And if you saw that incident in San Bernardino a while back, luckily the police department in San Bernardino was supposed to return that armored vehicle to the military a day or two after the attack. They needed that vehicle to bring the terror attack to a halt. They needed superiority of firepower and the ability to protect themselves against these the two terrorists, this man and woman who came to America. We gave them the key to the front door. We welcomed them into our hearts. Um, ironically, when the woman gave birth, the terrorist, the people she worked with threw a party for her, gave her presents, and she came back to work. 
and killed a bunch of these people. Insanity. Insanity, depravity, sociopathic lunacy. And I don't know how it would have played out or how many more people would have died had the police department not had that armored vehicle and heavy weapons. This isn't Halloween, and you don't go out there on patrol and, and, and do that sort of thing. That's not what it's about. What it's about is having the capability of meeting force with force to, to preserve innocent lives. And anybody who talks about going on patrol in armored vehicles doesn't understand the issue, and they do us all a big favor if they would zip their mouths. I remember when I would have dinner with my parents. Tragically, I lost them to cancer uh, by the time I was 21. My dad passed when I was 19. And he was a no-nonsense kind of guy, as was my mom. And if it wasn't for them, I don't know how I would have survived being on my own since I was 21. I went on and got a degree. I wasn't only the first person in my family to get a degree. Neither of my parents ever went to high school. Different era, different opportunities. My mom came as a 13-year-old, lived by herself in a rooming house, and supported herself by uh, working in a sweatshop making umbrellas for $3 a week, 13 years old. Couldn't speak the language on her own. I guess that was an example of white privilege, but maybe that's just me. There are so many struggles by so many people who come to this country under adverse conditions. And if we don't study history, we won't appreciate what really America stands for and why America has been that beacon. For so many people from around the world, irrespective of color or race or religion, what I call the superficial issues. But if I ran my mouth at the dinner table, as teenagers can, uh, my dad would look over his glasses and give me what I would call the father look, and he'd say, Mike, empty barrels make a lot of noise. And that was his way of telling me to shut my big mouth. And I have to tell you to this very day when I do an interview, whether it's at a hearing room or in a television studio or on this program or wherever, and someone asks me a question and I don't have the answer, I'm quick to tell you I don't know because I can still hear my dad's admonition that empty barrels make a lot of noise. I wish that our so-called journalists and politicians would adhere to that standard. We'd all be a hell of a lot better off, I believe. Empty barrels make a lot of noise. And boy, there's some awfully uh, noisy barrels out there, aren't there? So getting back to the issue, Law enforcement has been under attack now for a while because of the radical left. And I refuse to say that they're Democrats. I'm a registered Democrat, and boy, oh, boy, this is not the Democrat Party that I signed up with when I was back in college decades ago, more decades ago than I care to think about. When law enforcement makes mistakes, they need to be made accountable, just like every profession. Um, doctors kill people, but the joke is, not so funny, that the doctors bury their mistakes. When doctors make mistakes, uh, people can die, people can suffer, they can be injured, they can experience pain. I've written about this. A couple of years ago, Johns Hopkins University did a study and found that over 250,000 people died one year of medical malpractice, 250,000. Another university pegged the number much higher that same year they saw this as, as the death of 440,000. Now, that's not to say that even a single life lost to inappropriate conduct by the police 
is to be written off. There's nothing trivial about the loss of a single human life. Every single human life is precious, period, full stop. No qualification there. But the vilification of the police officers, of federal agents, because of a couple of bad actors is insanity. Defund the police. Wow, that's the first time I've ever heard um, anybody on the radical left saying that you're not going to solve a problem by throwing more money at it. And maybe they do need to put more money into law enforcement, but intelligently. Maybe we need to look at what we pay people in law enforcement, because if you don't think the people you're hiring meet a certain standard, if you want to raise the standard, you have to raise the pay. It just That's how it works. You get what you pay for, ladies and gentlemen. And maybe we need to look at training, and maybe we need to look at, at screening, and maybe we need to look at annual reviews and see if uh, some people are becoming unglued because they have PTSD. Uh, you know, airline pilots have to go for a check ride, I believe it's every six months, to make sure they're not picking up bad habits. Well, if you could do that with airline pilots, maybe you should be doing that with people in law enforcement. And maybe we ought to be allowing people in law enforcement to gracefully exit stage left or stage right, as they say in the cartoons, if they're overwhelmed by the stress and the violence that they've been subjected to. Being in law enforcement really gives you a front row seat to some horrific situations. Some people can cope with it better than others. But there's no shame in saying, I'm overwhelmed, I can't take it anymore. I've lost some friends in law enforcement. Everett Hatcher was a DEA agent who was killed in Staten Island back, I believe it was 1989. I was with Hatch three or four hours before he was shot in the head. I'm not the same. They dedicated the street outside the DEA office in Manhattan to him, and every time I drive by and I look at that sign with his name on it, a chill goes down my spine. Maybe if you lose enough people in law enforcement, just like in the military, it starts to weigh on you. It starts to... Um, hamper your ability to be objective on the street. There's so many factors here. And the more we learn about stress and human frailty, because we are frail. My mother used to say that we all hang by threads and it doesn't take much for the thread to break. So maybe we ought to consider allowing police officers to retire, not after 20 years, but maybe after 5 or 10 years with a reduced pension, so that uh, we acknowledge the fact they served their community, they kept their people safe, and let them move on to another endeavor, uh, become school teachers or carpenters or, or whatever it is, whatever floats their boat. Just the way that some people join the military and they serve for three years or five years, whatever that period of, en of enlistment is, and they move on. They don't, they don't stay in forever. Maybe we should try that with law enforcement. There's a lot of things we should try. But the last thing we should be trying is defunding the police and vilifying the men and women who run toward that which any sane person would run from. This is about the destruction of our country. This is, as far as I'm concerned, about pitting America against American, and it's a divide-and-conquer strategy, and America's adversaries are in the wings licking their chops, and so many people that are buying into this garbage have no idea what our adversaries look like ask yourself how woke china is or how woke iran is think of the uyghurs that are being forced to work in what amount of concentration camps 
Imagine what Iran would do with homosexuals or people of other religions. Wake up, folks. We've got to wake our neighbors up. We have to have the the moral fiber, the tenacity, the chutzpah, to use a Brooklyn term, a Yiddish term, to stand up to the bullies and say, enough of the stupidity, enough of this. People are being gunned down in the street by thugs because they know the police aren't there to act, and that's acceptable. If the concern is the loss of life, how are you addressing that concern by you know, stripping police of resources, legal protection that's reasonable. No one should act with impunity. Everyone needs to be made accountable, most especially our politicians. I'd love to see politicians held accountable where if they, for example, fail to honor an immigration detainer and someone dies, that they should be held financially responsible. You release this guy he killed that little girl or he killed that boy or whoever. It's your failure to act appropriately that led to a death. Okay, we're going to make you accountable for it. If you want to talk about stripping people of legal protection, let's strip politicians of legal protection when what they do costs lives. How's that for an interesting thought about stripping legal protection from people doing their jobs? Start with the politicians. Start with the politicians. I look at the mess on the Mexican border, and, and, I, and I looked at this Operation Sentinel cobbled together by the Biden administration. And if you look at some of the press releases over at ICE every once in a while, you'll see something involving an alien. You know, guy wanted for murder in whatever country, sent home to stand trial. But if, if you listen to the radical left lunatics in the Democrat Party, they don't want anyone sent out of the country, not the gangbangers, not the drug dealers, nobody. You've got to protect the immigrants. Most of the people killed by transnational criminals, in point of fact, are the immigrants. And it's not just from Latin America. Immigration is not about Latin America. Latin America figures prominently because we share a 2,000-mile border with Mexico. Mexico is the third world where the first world you have such economic pressure and such corruption that that border becomes extremely important. But let's remember we share a border with Canada that's almost twice as long, and we need to look at what's happening up there. Now, the Canadian government is a pleasure to work with. I, I worked at DEA Intelligence for four years, and there was a, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer who sat four desks away from me. We saw each other every morning and had a cup of coffee together. I worked closely with the RCMP. And they're dynamite. They're every bit as trustworthy as the best that America has. When you go to Canada, if you've ever had that experience, their standard of living is nearly indistinguishable from ours. Drive into Montreal, and, and you don't realize you're in a foreign country, except um, if they're bilingual, it's because they speak French as well as English, not Spanish and English. But in terms of culture and health care and educational level, almost identical with the United States. So that's a different set of circumstances. But understand that we are a nation of 50 border states. Any state that has an international airport is a border state, which gives rise to a question, what are we doing, what is Biden doing when people come into the United States? What's the likelihood that aliens are being turned around 
if the inspectors determine that they're inadmissible, or are they even turning anybody around at all anymore? And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But what I want to do, because I, I just wrote about it for, for the blurb concerning my program, I, I just want to go over again the reasons why I believe Operation Sentinel should be called Operation Backrub. It, it's just a, a panacea, some way of calming upset Americans, and we have every right to be upset. Biden, or DHS under Biden, said, well, we're going to form this joint task force with the FBI and DEA and Customs and Border Protection and ICE, and we're going to work together. Who's we? There was an old program, Maxwell Smart, those of you old enough to remember it, um, and one day he was taken captive with his partner, Agent 89, I think was, was her designation, and he's trying to tell the bad guys to have them all tied up there's a whole squad of, you know, soldiers coming, and, and he keeps lowering it and lowering it, and he finally looks up at his captors and says, well, would you believe on the way are two cops in a rowboat? It was funny for that program, but not funny in real life, because that's where we might be with this Operation Sentinel. So the first question is, how many people are going to be assigned? Is it one agent from the FBI and one agent from ICE, and, or is it 100 agents? Are they there full-time or are they there part-time? Hey, Charlie, spend an hour over there every week and we can say you're there. No worries. Figures don't lie, liars can figure. No one's talking about the resources, the manpower, the hours. Um, how many support personnel? How much funding are they going to be getting? Is there going to be a full-time prosecutor? If so, how many prosecutors? These are all questions that need to be fleshed out. I don't think anyone's going to be happy with any of those answers. But if you're not happy with those answers, understand something else. The magnet that draws the aliens across the border is still running full blast. If you get to the border, all you have to say to a Border Patrol agent is two words, political asylum. You know, it's like during Prohibition, knock three times on the door and say, Charlie sent me, and they let you in. So here you don't knock on the door, and you don't say, Charlie sent me. You say political asylum. Okay. We'll set you up for a hearing or not. Head for the interior. We'll let you know when it's time. Who will? Who's going to look for them? Nobody. Basically, they're here. Legally, you have to have your passport stamped to be legally admitted. Do these people care about that legality? All they care about is they're here. And both parties want to legalize everyone who's here illegally anyway, so why bother with a formal admission? Just let them into the interior. And that game of hide-and-seek, no one's going to seek because there's no one there to seek. They're going to hide, and they don't even really need to. They go to a sanctuary city, and they'll be harbored and shielded from detection by local law enforcement, by the local authorities. That's the other thing about law enforcement. They're made to dance to the music played by the politicians who attack them. Talk about being caught between a rock and a hard place. We had a guy who died in Staten Island until he's been trying to arrest him for selling what they call Lucy's, individual cigarettes. Is that really a valid reason to arrest somebody for standing on a street corner and selling individual cigarettes to people? Resisting arrest very often ends badly. And please understand why. When you resist arrest, you're in a physical confrontation with a person with a gun because the cop has the gun, the agent has the gun. And if you're overpowered, the guy you're fighting with can take your gun and kill you or other people with it. So once you utter the magic words, you're under arrest, you can't unarrest somebody. You can't say, oh, I didn't know that was going to upset you. I was only kidding. Listen, 
could you come into the office in about three weeks? What what day works for you? Could you take out your calendar and see what's a free day? It doesn't work that way. Resisting arrest ends badly. And no one's looking at it from the side of the person with the badge. You have a job to do. You tell the person you're under arrest. They're supposed to comply. You handcuff them. You put them in the back of your car. You bring them in. When they resist and a fight breaks out, if they're big enough to overpower you or skilled enough to overpower you, they could get hold of your firearm. This is a fight to the death. It's not portrayed that way in the movies. It's not or, or on TV, rather. Certainly the politicians aren't discussing it. But make no mistake, it's no less somebody resists arrest. I'm not talking about simply running. They're fighting with you. If they can overpower you, they can get your gun. If they can get your gun, you could wind up dead or crippled. Other people could die. Not a game. And you have politicians expecting people to be arrested for all sorts of reasons that maybe we shouldn't be. We need to rethink the way we do business. But the poor guy or gal with that badge suffers the consequences of decisions made by the politicians who aren't necessarily acting in the best interests of that community. Nobody talks about that, though. No one looks at the evaluations that they give law enforcement officers, which basically provide the marching orders. Are you more effective if you make more arrests? We had that argument in immigration. One of my buddies would go to a sweatshop and arrest five women, and many of them had kids. So if you wrote them up and their children came across the border with them, each child counts as another arrest. So if you arrested three women and they had three or four kids each, in one day, one agent could take claim for, for making 12, 15 arrests. And if my partner and I went out looking for a guy who shot a police officer, so maybe we made three or four arrests for the month, and one guy could do 12 arrests in one day on paper, guess who looks like, you know, Superman? And look, look who looks like a slacker. Who would you rather get off the street? So there's lots of questions that need to go into the way we evaluate law enforcement, but everyone's focusing on the guy at the bottom of the, of the, of the stack, you know, the peon who gets peed on. When the fish goes bad, never forget it smells from the head. That's what I want people to take away from this. Is Biden really serious? when he's told everybody you can come here and we're not going to deport you and we're not going to lock you up and they've ordered ICE agents to not arrest illegal aliens unless they have a specific warrant for a specific individual and if they encounter other illegal aliens, do not arrest them without written authorization way up the chain of command. No other law enforcement agency could operate that way. Cops don't need to get written authorization to arrest some person for a variety of crimes. Vagrancy, loitering, whatever. The handcuffs go on. This is the first time that I've ever heard of immigration agents being told do not make warrantless arrests. They have the authority, if you look at the Immigration and Nationality Act. They've been neutered. They've been hamstrung, handcuffed. You can't make smuggling cases without first arresting aliens who were smuggled, and they can tell you who brought them here. Some guy, you know, commented on one of my articles. Well, why don't you just get warrants for the members of the cartel and lock them up? And you have to laugh because obviously this guy never did law enforcement. 
how do you think you get a warrant? You stick a wet finger in the air and say, yeah, the wind is blowing from the southwest. This guy was standing to the southwest of me. I guess I can arrest him. It doesn't work that way. Before you make an arrest for alien trafficking or human trafficking, you need to get the evidence. You need to go to a grand jury. You need to get a warrant. It's a process. It's an investigation. But it begins with the arrest of illegal aliens, which they can't do anymore at ICE. So if you can't arrest smuggled aliens, how are you supposed to make a case against human trafficking? And you know what the answer is? It's all but impossible. Am I speaking through my left ear? No, I'm speaking based on 26 years of experience as an immigration special agent. But you're not going to hear that anywhere else, which is why I'm glad that I'll be on Newsmax. Um, They tell me they'd like to see me on uh, maybe regularly. We'll see how that works out. Because it's about providing you with the information that the mainstream media has been keeping from you and everybody else. It's the mushroom treatment. Keep Americans in the dark and feed them lots of fertilizer. You can't make smuggling cases without arresting smuggled aliens. You can't make a drug case without seizing narcotics. And imagine making a narcotics case and then turning the narcotics loose on street corners so it could be sold to kids. Is that the way you do narcotics investigation? Or you're doing a gun investigation? Yeah, we'll, we'll dump the gun on the street corner. Well, it happened almost uh, with, uh, with the Obama administration with Operation Fast and Furious, if you remember. Guns that went walking right into Mexico, never to be seen again until they show up at homicides. But the point is, Operation Sentinel, as far as I'm concerned, is a con job. It's a scam. If you're serious about going after the human traffickers, you've got to go after the sanctuary cities, and you've got to go after illegal aliens, and you arrest them. And by the way, this nonsense, oh, the poor guy was only working. I've arrested people working who were wanted for murder, who escaped from prisons, who were involved with terrorism, who've done rapes. They've got to be somewhere. They've got to earn money somehow. MS-13 gangbangers are out there bagging groceries and mowing lawns and doing other things during the day, and at night they go out and they, they, they commit gang crimes. Rapes, robberies, knifings, drug sales, you name it. During the day, they're mowing lawns and they're very polite. But don't encounter them at night because it's a Jekyll and Hyde existence for them. It's naive to not understand this. We hear the head, we see the headline. CBP, they, they arrested eight people from Iran, you know, crossing the border. They were on the terror watch list. There is a terror watch list, but most terrorists aren't on the watch list. That's what sleeper agents are. We have no idea who they are. And they're using so many fake identities, lots of luck. So anybody who's here illegally should be arrested, should be free to be arrested. It deters illegal immigration, helps to keep the numbers down, provides an incentive for people or a deterrence for people so that they don't feel incentivized to come here. And by the way, and I just wrote a piece for front page. I hope they publish it in the next couple of days. You may be shocked to know that the Biden administration is asking for, you're not going to believe this one, $80 billion. That's with a B. billion for 10 years to enhance the capabilities of the Internal Revenue Service to go after tax cheats, but they're doing nada to go after aliens who are immigration cheats, lying on immigration documents, uh, immigration applications, visa applications, which the 9-11 Commission determined was the number one way the terrorists entered and embedded themselves in the United States. Immigration fraud, immigration cheats. 
Don't be a tax cheat, but you can be an immigration cheat under the Biden administration. Anybody who defrauds the U.S. government should face consequences. Simple. I don't care if it's tax law. I don't care if it's environmental law. Those laws are there for a purpose. You violate the law, you face consequences. I know. I arrested people who violated the laws. Now, you just about get a free pass and lots of goodies if you violate the immigration laws and the borders of the United States. I want someone to explain to me how this makes sense to anybody. Question not going to get an answer because you have to arrange, I guess, for the questions to be given to the president before he accepts the question. <laughs> pre screen questions. Wow. So much for democracy. So much for freedom of the press. And so now, tax cheats will be fearful, but people that commit immigration fraud or, or run the borders, come on down. I was on Neil Cavuto years ago, and Neil said to me, how will you know when finally the immigration laws are being effectively enforced, at least to your uh, desire? And I thought quickly, I didn't expect that question, and I said, well, I'll be happy if an alien who gets a piece of correspondence from DHS is as concerned about that piece of mail as you or I would be if we got an envelope from the IRS. And Neil said, wow, what a profound thought. That's terrific. You're right. That makes perfect sense. Well, the Biden administration is going 180 degrees in the opposite direction. If you get a letter from the IRS, fasten your seatbelt. If it's DHS, you got nothing to worry about, even if you're here illegally. I want someone to explain this to me because I don't get it. I don't get it how the American people aren't doing whatever they can to notify their politicians that they've had it. This is not a government of the people, by the people, or for the people, unless the people we're talking about are the adversaries of America or have given so much money to the political elite that they own them or rent them, I guess. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But I remember, and you probably remember it, and, and this is something else that I wish some journalist, so-called, would look into. If you remember, shortly after he took office, President Trump stated that the United States would not permit aliens from six or seven countries to enter the United States. And, of course, the media twisted it to Muslim-majority countries. Well, if that was about Muslim-majority countries. It's remarkable that they left Indonesia and Pakistan off the list in, in, in India because those are the three most populous Muslim countries on the planet. Okay, These are countries that are affiliated with terrorism and for one reason or another were unable to properly vet, screen their citizens. So that meant we were letting people in without knowing who the heck they were and whether they posed a threat to our safety. And you don't have to let too many terrorists in to do a lot of damage. 19 hijackers on 9-11 killed more people than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. And by the way, folks, the death count from 9-11 is continuing to this very day. Roughly every 10 days or two weeks, another person dies because of the toxins they were exposed to when the towers collapsed, many of them valiant first responders. Death count continues. In fact, I don't have the numbers, but I, I recall, and don't hold me to this, but it's significant enough that I believe more people have died since 9-11 than were killed on 9-11. And 9-11 eclipsed the number that were killed at Pearl Harbor by itself. So this is a serious problem, and it doesn't take that many people. This is asymmetrical warfare. 
think what that husband and wife did at San Bernardino or the Tsarnaev brothers at the Boston Marathon. And Trump looked at this and said, well, I'm here to protect the American people. You protect the people by securing the border. It's common sense, and it's what the 9-11 Commission said. Enforce the immigration laws. That's what the 9-11 Commission said. So Nancy Pelosi's running around like a headless chicken and saying, oh, we need a 9-11-style report. Hey, Nancy, did you read the original 9-11 Commission report? If so, I'd like to know what you think about Biden's immigration policies because they run 180 degrees contrary to the recommendations and findings of that 9-11 Commission that you keep cackling about. It infuriates me. I've testified before numerous hearings in the House and Senate shortly after 9-11. I will never forget being in Washington, meeting with a bunch of congressmen. It wasn't only the hearings. I had plenty of closed-door meetings and phone calls and conversations and emails going back and forth. And I remember just a few months after 9-11, just a few months, and I'm walking through the halls, I believe it was the Rayburn House office building, with the leaders of of the Congress. And they said to me, you know, Mr. Cutler, Our country has been attacked, and we need your help to try to figure out how to make sure it doesn't happen again. I was honored. I was flattered. It gave me goosebumps. And now I'm looking at where we are, and I'm thinking, who's kidding who? Why would you violate the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission? Has anyone sounded the all clear? And I look at that bulletin about the threat of terrorism and that one word about protecting America against those who would come here to kill us. It's all about the people who are here. I guess fundamentally, Americans, we're the threat to ourselves more than anybody else. Wow. The first step in problem solving is being willing to identify the problem in the first place. You don't solve problems until you identify the problem. To blatantly and blithely ignore the fact that there are foreign nationals who seek to come here to kill us? Not a problem. Wow. Wow. We've had hearing after hearing about sleeper agents operating in the United States. Nothing in that bulletin about sleeper agents. Anybody who thinks the solution to a problem is violence needs to be dealt with effectively. But to ignore the fact that foreign nationals not only would seek to come and do it, but have done it repeatedly. So it's not like some crazy idea. Cutler, that's never happened. Really? Let's go to the videotape, right? What does it take? What does it take to get members of an administration to do a 180 and ignore the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission, including members of Congress who spoke with me in private shortly after 9-11 and said, we've got to do something about it. This is a serious stuff. They're going to come here and kill us. They've done it already, and they want to kill more of us. How do we prevent it? And now the Biden administration is totally ignoring that this did happen? Are we going to expunge the record of 9-11? Who was it that said 9-11 was when some people did something? Wow. Wow. If there's another terror attack, I'd like to see politicians hamstrung immigration authorities from doing an effective but fair job. Those politicians need to be subject to private lawsuits, perhaps, or some kind of punitive action, because you're obstructing the work of an agency that was put within the Department of Homeland Security. They didn't put them in in, 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 in the Department of Staples and Rubber Bands. Homeland Security, because it was recognized, this is how you protect the homeland. 
and you look at George W. Bush, who created what I call the Department of Homeland Surrender, cut immigration in half, customs and border protection, ICE, two separate entities. No, the Homeland Security Act calls for them to be part of one agency. I know. I was involved with that process. And then he folded in all these other agencies. Why? It was supposed to be the focus on immigration. And we know that George W. Bush is a globalist. They've all become globalists. Screw America and Americans. I, I don't even know where to begin. So when President Trump said, we're not going to let those aliens in from those six countries, the media went nuts, the ACLU and other organizations went nuts. They went out to the airport. They had these massive demonstrations. 200 people had visas, roughly. They were coming to America, and as they were flying to the country, Trump pulled the rug out from under them and said, you can't get in. How could he do that? The saddest thing is that all Donald Trump needed to do, this isn't difficult, he needed to ask Customs and Border Protection how many people in the prior year had showed up at airports with valid passports and valid visas or were seeking entry under the visa waiver program. There are now 39 such countries. There were only 26 on 9-11. There should be zero. And even Donald Trump, he added one to that list. He added Poland, made it number 39. How many aliens who came here with passports, and in some cases valid visas, other cases under the law, allowed to enter under the visa waiver program, and were turned around? It's tens of thousands. I don't have the exact number in front of me, so I'm not going to make numbers up, going back to my dad's admonition about empty barrels. But every year, I can assure you, multiples of tens of thousands of aliens land at an international airport or get to a a port of entry, whether it's seaport or a land border port, the inspector reviews that person and makes the determination that they are excludable, they are inadmissible. If you go to Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182, Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182, look it up, the grounds for exclusion. Aliens from dangerous communicable diseases, which makes perfect sense. Here we are with COVID. Ellis Island was a quarantine station. Aliens who are severely mentally ill and violent. Aliens who are criminals and terrorists and spies and human rights violators and fugitives from justice and Nazi war criminals. Aliens who are human traffickers and drug smugglers are to be kept out of the country. Not a word about race or religion or ethnicity. Aliens who would become a public charge are to be kept out. Aliens who have no permission to work because if they did work, they would be competing unfairly with Americans, and they would displace Americans and drive down wages for Americans there to be kept out. So the person comes in. How much money do you have? The guy doesn't have enough money. He has a one-way ticket, or he has a one-year open ticket to show you that he's got a return ticket. But for those of you that don't know this, a one-year open ticket is the most expensive. And frequently aliens will do this so that it appears that they're going to go home, but they don't. And some of those tickets are refundable. So once they get through the inspections process, they run to that airline and they say, give me my money back for this ticket. Okay. I remember one case at Kennedy Airport over at what was then the TWA building. TWA doesn't even exist. But the building is now a landmark. They've preserved it as a hotel. I have to go back and visit it. In fact, we had classrooms in the basement of that building when I first started for training. And this guy came in from Germany. And they asked him, you know, the inspector asked him, how long will you be staying? And he said, two weeks. 
And what's the purpose of your visit? Vacation. But the inspector noticed he had six baggage claim tickets attached to his ticket jacket. Well, who needs six suitcases of checked luggage if you're coming for just two weeks? So they asked this guy to go get his baggage. This customs was separate from immigration in those days. And he tried to go out the door without coming back. And customs, uh, customs police, because they, they had an armed unit there in those days, brought the guy back to us at secondary. And these weren't suitcases. These were foot lockers piled up on a steel baggage cart. It looked like a small house for two weeks. So we opened it up because at a port of entry, the inspectors have the right to do a complete search, including a strip search. You're coming into our country. We found he had all of his clothing, all of his earthly possessions, and we found a contract where I believe he was going to work for, I think it was General Electric in Puerto Rico. He had a job, and he was coming on a tourist visa, totally illegal. And he screamed obscenities at us. I mean, this guy was a nasty piece of work. But it was a riot. He was offered a job as an engineer that would have paid a multiple of what we were earning. And this is a job that should have gone to an American. But he was going to go to Puerto Rico and work for either GE or Westinghouse, one of the major companies in the United States. This was back in the 70s. You know, we denied him entry into the United States. He was turned around. He had a visa. We turned him around. What's the shock? President Trump should have talked about how many people are denied entry into the United States when the inspector at the port of entry, in reviewing the total circumstances, comes to the conclusion that the alien in question is inadmissible. The fact that this guy was coming to work here on a tourist visa made him excludable from the United States, inadmissible. We turned him around. We turned him around. That's what's expected. That's why there's an inspections process at ports of entry. A visa is not a guarantee of entry. What I'd like to know is how many people are being turned around under Biden versus Trump. What kind of marching orders? And, you know, it's funny because when Trump, when Biden gave his speech, he said, so many people are here illegally because they overstayed their visas. Well, what is the Biden administration doing to address that component to the problem? It's not just the Mexican border that's in a state of disarray. It's the entire immigration system that is dissolving even as I speak to you tonight. These are the issues that President Trump should have done a far better job and could have done a far better job communicating to the American people. He didn't do it, so I'm going to do it. An American undoubtedly got that job that that German almost stole from an American. It's not just aliens mowing lawns. It's people committing visa fraud to take jobs that rightfully belong to American workers or lawful immigrant workers. By the way, lawful immigrant workers have as much right to a job as an American, and there's been litigation against companies that refuse to hire a lawful immigrant who's available and has the the skills unless the job um, requires a security clearance and and there's a requirement that the person's an American citizen. Other than that, lawful immigrants have every much as right, uh, every much right to a job as an American. 
But the point is you don't want to give those jobs to anybody who's not entitled to do the job because the Labor Department used to run immigration prior to the Second World War. The whole idea was to protect jobs and wages for Americans. Bernie Sanders had made this point before. Gave a passionate speech, and he was standing there with the AFL-CIO, and he said anybody who knowingly hires illegal aliens should be prosecuted because they're stealing Americans' jobs and they're destroying the middle class and wages for Americans. Bernie Sanders. 2006, 2000. Where is he now? Who got to these people? I have a belief, and I wrote about it, that the Democrat Party has come to a decision that if they can destroy the middle class, they will force all Americans to the left because Americans increasingly will need financial aid to get by. As inflation goes through the roof, as the economy goes haywire, more and more Americans will be completely unable to support themselves without government assistance, and guess which party is the party of the handout, boys and girls? It's not the Republicans. So what we're really witnessing, I believe, is an attempt to destroy the middle class to push all of America hard left. The conservatives and the politicians, oh, the Democrats just want to import voters. Yeah, it's far worse. They want to push America itself to the left by destroying the middle class. My father was right when he said, if you want to turn a capitalist into a communist, take away his money. Isn't that what the Biden administration seems to be determined to do by a variety of tactics, including ramping up IRS? Think about the goals. Think about whether or not these are actions that are taken in the best interest of America or Americans. Immigration impacts so many things from national security, public safety, public health, jobs and wages of Americans. It's an issue that cannot be ignored because immigration, as I've always noted, is not a single issue, but it certainly is a singular issue. And that's the primary purpose that I do this program, to provide you with the information you're not going to get from the mainstream media. If you get a chance, don't forget to check out Newsmax on Monday morning around 10, 15, 10, 20, somewhere around there. Uh, I'll be on for a bit. Um, And please check out my articles at Front Page Magazine and at the American Conservative. And what I ask you to do is please forward the links to my articles, to whatever, to this podcast, to as many people as you can to create what I call a bucket brigade of truth. If the mainstream media is not going to provide the information, if the mainstream media is not going to tell the truth, And if the mainstream media is not going to provide you with the expertise that Americans need to really sort this disaster out, I'll provide you with that opportunity. I don't claim to have all the answers, but 30 years with the INS was an eye-opener. And I want to help to open your eyes and the eyes of all of our fellow Americans out there. Thank you for listening. Please get involved, and as I always like to remind you, Democracy is not a spectator sport. Have a wonderful weekend. Stay safe, be well, and we'll see you right here next week on the Michael Cutler Hour. Good night, everybody.